0: you for joining me for week two of our churchless church service. As you can see, the church isn't here. The church is a gathered people, an assembled people, but we're not gathered, we're scattered again today. Uh, But uh, I'm here, and uh, we want to bring you some things from the Word of God that I trust will be a help and a blessing to you as we work through the uh, uncertainty of of the new normal here in America. Uh, we are certainly living in an uncertain time. And, and we've all made adjustments to our lives. My goodness. You have made so many adjustments to the way you have been living. And, uh, and it seems like uncertainty and, and adjustments are, are a lot in life right now. But, you know, in the midst of all of this uncertainty, uh, we, we become aware of how great it was... When we had certainty, I feel kind of like the guy that was in an earthquake and and he's trying to get his footing as everything around him is moving and he is struggling to get his footing. Or like the sailor that comes back from a long period of time on the sea. Uh, Think of a man in a relatively small ship in a very rough sea for a number of days. And he gets back and he gets his feet on solid ground and then he struggles to get his land legs back underneath him uh, after that lengthy time at sea. And, and that's kind of uh, how I feel that, that we're still in the midst of the earthquake or the movement of the water under our feet. And so we don't have certainty, but we remember what it was like to have certainty and we long For certainty again. You know, that brings to my mind the strength of our hope as Christian people. You know, we have promises from God about what is yet in our future that has great certainty and great stability. In fact, let me read to you a couple of places in the Bible where God talks about that very thing. Uh, One of them is found in the Old Testament by an Old Testament uh, preacher, and then and then in the New Testament, as God was inspiring the recording of the New Testament, uh, God uh, inspired uh, Paul to quote this passage from the Old Testament. So I'll read it to you both from the Old Testament and from the New Testament. So I'm going to go to Isaiah 64, and I want to read to you verse number 4. So listen carefully from the Old Testament. The Bible says, For since... The beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. And then the next chapter, chapter 65 and verse 17, he continues this thought. He says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. This is a great promise to a people in the Old Testament who were living in uncertain and troubling times. And in the midst of their turmoil and trouble in life, God reminded them that no one's ever seen and no one's ever heard, besides God himself, what he has prepared for We who are waiting on Him, who are serving Him and longing for Him, because He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And when that time comes, and the certainty and the strength of that time, all the problems of the past will fade from our remembrance. And then that sentiment was quoted in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, where we read... These words summarizing that passage from the Old Testament. The Bible says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. While the world is struggling with fear and, and panic, we who know God, we who are uh, who are saved and who love God and long for Him and talk to Him every day as we read His Word and, and pray every day. We who know and love God, we are focused on the certainty of the future and we know that there are great things coming. Let me get you to tune into a, a blast from the past here at Community Baptist Church. I want our choir... And Hannah Rodriguez to sing a song that was sung here years ago. It's entitled, What a Day, What a Moment. And it is all about that day when we step into heaven and find ourselves face to face with our God. This is our hope. This is our certainty. What a day. What a moment. Enjoy this song. Dark on every hand. Oh, but the time is drawing nearer. When will we? Let you. Boy, not it just make you want to be in heaven? I tell you, what a day that's going to be. What a moment. To see him for the very first time with our own eyes. And we see him with our minds. We see him with our imagination. To see him with our own eyes the very first time. What a moment. What a day that's going to be. Yes, that will be quite a moment. On quite a day. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Hannah, for singing and uh, enabling us to visualize what a powerful moment that would be. Now, let me ask you a question. When you think about heaven, how, how do you describe heaven? What what do you envision heaven to be for you? I, I read a a statement that a man w- once made. It, it was um, it was a preacher who described heaven in this uh, in this piece and. Uh, and so it's through the eyes of a, of a preacher. But he said this. He said, the heaven of my fancy would contain no Democrats and no Republicans. No games, no puzzles, no charts, no calendars, no engagement pads, no germs, no debts, no money, no Brussels sprouts, no elections, no professional pastors. No finance campaigns, no experts on anything, no pills, tranquilizers, hair curlers, tweezers, or stiff petticoats, and no Saturday evenings without a sermon ready. Well, uh, that was the way a, uh, a preacher once described the heaven of his fancy, the heaven of his uh, dreams, but, but how, how do you describe heaven? What would heaven be like for you? The Bible gives us a glimpse into a a real picture of heaven and what it meant as God allowed the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos to have a glimpse into heaven and to write down what God showed him. And I want to read to you the description of heaven that God gives us in his word in Revelation chapter 21. Former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Heaven here is described not by what it contains, but by what is missing. What is heaven? It's a place where there's no more death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain, and no more sea. No more sea. That that seems kind of out of place. So what he had described won't be there. In pain and crying and tears and sorrow. No more sea. But but so many people like the sea. They like the, the rolling surf. They, they like to try to catch a wave. They like the, the, the soft sand under their feet. They, they love the, the sunrise over top the edge of the sea. They love the sunsets in the evening. They love the sound of the water as it gently comes upon the sandy shore. No more sea. What do you mean no more sea? What would heaven be without a beach and some sand and, and the sea? And yet God describes heaven as having no more sea. I want to I suggest to you that that's not at all out of place in Revelation 21 when you take into consideration what the sea was to those people. You say the sea was anything but a joyful place to vacation. The sea was the epitome of, of sorrow and pain. It had a bad reputation. Think of the widow's watch, that, that place on the very top of the house where they could climb up on the roof of the house and stand behind the little white picket, and they could stand there and look out over the sea and look to see if, if their husband was ever going to come home. Or if they're now a widow. You see the sea had a bad reputation. It was everything. That was fearful. To the people. Widows. Because of the sea. Childless. Because a son was lost. While at sea. The sea. Was not tamed. By man. Her fury. Was never brought under man's control. Women lost their loved ones. Old people told tales of sea monsters that swallowed up entire ships. The sea was strange. It was dangerous. It was untamed. The sea dared the brave to come, and then it devoured the daring who dared to come. The sea was something that was dreaded. It was the lack of peace it was the lack of certainty. It was the lack of stability. And when the Apostle John recorded those words in the book of the Revelation, he was on the Isle of Patmos, exiled to the sea. The sea separated him from his family and loved ones and from the church that he had at once had been the pastor of. The sea was the epitome of... Of something to be feared by people. But the day would come. When there will be no more sea. Ah no more sea. Because God has brought us to the shore of heaven. Where we will enjoy his presence forever. No more sea. But the reality is. There is very much sea. In our lives today. We're not in heaven yet. We have not made it across the sea to the shore of heaven. And so we have to deal with the sea. It's not going to be there later, but it's here now. How do you deal with your fears? How do you deal with your your instability, with the uncertainty of life? How do you handle your greatest fears in this world? Well, I want to suggest to you that there are some ways that we can deal with our sea in this world. And uh, I want to read from the book of Isaiah again. A, one of the shorter chapters in the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 12 that talks uh, about our confidence and our trust in God. I want, to, I want to make three suggestions. Here's three possible solutions to dealing with with your fears, or dealing with the sea in your life. And the first possible solution is to ignore them. Ignore the sea. A man by the name of Charles Poole once said, we spend too much time running from enemies that are not hunting us, and hiding from troubles that are not haunting us, and dreading diseases that are not hurting us. Charles Poole recognized that that most people's fears never come to reality. They fear what will never happen to them. Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount challenged us that there's sufficient evil in the day that we're living to worry about tomorrow. Your sea that you worry about that might happen tomorrow, Jesus said, fret not for the trouble that tomorrow may bring. You've got sufficient to deal with today as you take your sea of the present, the knowable sea of today, to God. So, the first solution, possible solution, is for most of your fears, you can just ignore them. I want to read from Isaiah chapter 12. The Bible says in verse number 1, And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord... I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall he draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry aloud, shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Some great thoughts in that chapter in Isaiah to think about. And I want you to notice in that chapter in Isaiah that there's a particular order. And the order is trust and not be afraid. Some fear... Some of our fears are handled by beginning with a confidence in God that ignores the many storm clouds that seem to be gathering in our life. It begins with trusting God. In other places, the Bible says you can't prepare for a battle once the battle has started. You've got to prepare for the battle before the battle starts. You know who's handling COVID-19 with the greatest confidence It would be those people who have been walking with God over the recent history, over their past. They read their Bible every day. They pray to God every day. They worship God every day. They have a close relationship with God. They have confidence in God. And because of that, they're not afraid. And for the most part, they can just ignore a lot of the sea that the world Worries about. But unfortunately, some of our fears do come true. What do you do when you have ignored fears as a possible solution? But one of those fears comes true in your life. Well, here's a second possible solution. Name them. Name that fear. Be upfront and tell God what your fear is. Let me read from Psalm 56, a psalm of David, where David is naming his fears. And I'm I'm drawn to this psalm because David, in his time of prayer, is being specific with God regarding the fears that he has in life. And he names those fears to God. Listen carefully. In verse number 1, David said, Be merciful unto me, O God. For man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up. For they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. What time I am afraid. You see, David had some sea in his life. And he couldn't ignore them. They'd come home to roost. And so he's naming them to God. In verse number five, he said, every day they rest or twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. David knew that he couldn't ignore this present fear that he had. And so he went to God And he was honest with God and transparent, and he named his fears. Let me ask you a question, dear friend. What are your fears? Would it be sickness? Are you struggling with Alzheimer's, afraid that Alzheimer's is going to come into your life, dementia? Are you living with the fear that you're beginning to lose some mental capacity, and you fear what tomorrow could bring? Is it cancer? A a um a diagnosis, and you're waiting for reports, and you fear is it heart disease that that you're worried about where that's going to go and what the future is going to hold. Maybe yours is failure. Maybe you just sense in your in your relationship with your employer that you're not measuring up, you're not producing, and you 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 fear failure in the workplace. Maybe it's opposition. Maybe you're dealing with people and you know they don't agree with you and you feel the tension of opposition. Maybe it's finance. Maybe you know that there are bills coming up and you don't know where the money's going to come from. And you can see that fear beginning to mount up in your heart and, and, and things are going to break down and you, you don't know where the money's going to come from and the cost it is to live. Maybe you fear crime. Maybe you deadbolt your doors and have pepper spray in your purse or the glove box of your car. Maybe when you go into a parking lot and park your car and get out, you're checking all around you. Maybe you look in every shadowy area. Maybe you fear the potential of crime and you know that these are real fears and you can't ignore them. My suggestion to you, as I learned from Psalm 56, is to name your fears. Talk to God about your fears. Slip down on your knees and tell God what they are and have a good talk to God about what your fears are. So how do you deal with your fears? Well, for a lot of your fears, the majority of your fears, you can just ignore them because they're not going to come about. But the ones that do come, you need to name them to God. And then the final Solution that I would offer to you is once you've named them to God, you need to overcome them by listening carefully to what God has to say. You know, in in the passage in Isaiah that I read a few moments ago, I learned that in that situation, trust came first, and as a result, there was no fear. Trust and don't be afraid. But when I come to Psalm 56, I find something else. I find that David is already uh, in fear. He's naming his, his fears. But in the process, he develops a confidence in God after he's named his fears. And just naming those fears and talking to God about it built a confidence in God. Let, let me show you what, what developed in David's heart. As he spent time with God. In verse number eight, I read this. Thou tellest my wanderings. The word tellest is a word which means to count. And so he's talking about how God is aware of every fear, of every situation. He said God is counting them in his life. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? David knows that God knows. Oh, there's a lot of therapy in that. God knows what your fears are. And then something else David learned. He learned that God cared. Verse number nine, David said, When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. He knew that God not only knew, Before he named them, he also knew that God cared about what he was going through. And he thought about that. God cares. He's for me. And then he also said this in verse number 13. He said, For thou hast delivered my soul from death. wilt not thou deliver my feet from from falling, that I may walk before God? In the light of the living. He knew that God would deliver him. He knew that God would work in his life. God knows. God cares. And God works in our lives. These are the truths that developed in David's life as he spent time meditating and praying to God. And that time with God enabled him to overcome the problems that he was facing in life. So, how do you you deal with your fears? Are you afraid? Are you worried? How do you deal with your fear? First of all, most of your fears you can ignore because they're never going to come about. But the ones who do come, you need to get alone with God and then you need to name those fears to God. Just talk to God. Tell him what you're afraid of. And in that process, you will develop such a relationship with God where you'll know that God knows, God cares, and God works in your life. And this is what helps you to overcome the fears in your life. We are afraid. But we don't need to panic. Because we can handle our fears The way people in the Bible handled theirs. I trust that you will spend quality and quantity time with God. And in doing so, that you can sense his peace in your life. And remember, the day is going to come where there will be no more sea. And it will all be a thing of the past. Our hope is in the future promises ...of our God and in his help getting us through the fears of the seas in our present life. So in our lives today, we have sea. But later, there's no more sea. That's a drastic change. But there's something that will not change. And that is singing. Singing. God's people throughout the history of humanity have been known as a singing people. Throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, singing has been a powerful expression of our worship to God. Throughout the history of Christianity, the last 2,000 years, singing has been a powerful means of worship. And so, one of our families mentioned to me and said, Pastor, one of the things I really miss about the church not gathering together is the fact that we're not singing together as a church family. So uh, in just a moment, one of our families is going to be around the piano and they're going to be singing and they've invited us into their home. And so if you're watching our program today on our Facebook page, then it'll be very easy for you as soon as this live feed ends, you'll be able to jump in to the home of Jonathan and Ann Simpson, where we will all be able to sing together with them some songs about heaven. If you're watching this on our YouTube account page, then uh, when this program ends, perhaps you can jump over into Facebook and join us as we sing some of the songs of heaven together as a church family. This evening, at 6 o'clock, we're going to be continuing our thought of heaven by having a discussion about some of the things we know about heaven. I have a couple of video clips that have been sent in to me, questions about heaven. We're going to be discussing those in our 6 o'clock program today. And... uh... And Throughout this week, on our church's Facebook page, I'll be sharing a, a number of random thoughts about heaven, and we'll be exploring some more devotionally about heaven this week. I hope you can join us for some of that. You know, God often brings good things out of things that aren't so good, good out of bad, uh, and, and it's not a good thing that we're not meeting together as a church, but But something that could be very good that would come out of that is if we in our individual families spend more time worshiping God together in a family setting, that would be a good thing that could come out of this season of not meeting together at church. We are sending out, our our children's ministry has sent out some material from our Sunday school classes of what would have been taught had we been meeting on Sundays. And perhaps you can use those in your home and uh, teach your children the lessons that would have been taught had they been here. And so let me encourage you to spend some time as a family focusing on God every day during this season of our lives. Let's end with a word of prayer. Father, I want to thank you for being an amazing God who has a amazing future planned for us that includes no more sea. All the fears will be gone, and Lord, that hope, that confidence is such a strength to us in these seasons, and Lord, we look forward to that. I've found so much comfort from you as I've thought about the promises of what is in front of me, and Lord, I pray that you'll bless each of us in this season of life Help us to focus on you in a concentrated way that will bring great victory and joy and peace into our hearts. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For soon we'll be called to meet him. Thank you for joining us for part of a Sunday service at Community Baptist Church. I hope to meet you soon. May God impress His love upon your heart this week.